Hi, my name is Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bride Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by Charlotte Smith. Charlotte is an experienced lawyer who decided to forge a different path. After a successful career in private practice, Charlotte branched out first into marketing and business roles before founding her own business, Level 7 Legal, which works with GCs, CLOs, and legal operations leaders to help coach and develop well-rounded, motivated legal teams. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Charlotte, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? So my journey begins in Huddersfield (laughs) in West Yorkshire. That is where I grew up. I went to university in Leeds, law school in York. So I essentially stayed in Yorkshire for the beginning of my career. Yeah, and I can kind of elaborate further, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the kind of initial. I was a, a massive Leeds United fan as a kid and the kind of Leeds football really? club payday. <laughs> so uh, that part of uh, the north of England uh, is, is dear to my heart. You referenced the fact you studied law in university. Yeah. When did you first kind of develop that interest in, in becoming a, a lawyer? So... I have been listening to the podcast, (laughs) The Diary of a CEO. (laughs) And, uh, you know, as as I think about, you know, their interview style and, and, you know, the question that you just asked me, it's kind of like, it does go back to childhood. And my dad passed away when I was 12 years old. He was an architect. And I was kind of growing up in the 90s, I guess. And... In my family, it was it was very much when I thought about like career paths in the future, my mother kind of positioned it to us like, these are your career options. You can be an architect like your dad, you can, you know, doctor, lawyer, accountant, those were the kind of career paths. And I think because of like that early loss, I didn't want to be an architect like even though I was actually very creative and was really into art like that was one thing that I kind of didn't want to do so as I kind of like eliminated that like what else was I interested in and like maybe I was a bit stubborn (laughs) I don't know but like law seemed appealing to me it seemed more appealing to me than like the sciences or you know anything that was kind of particularly mathematical And so that's kind of how I landed on that decision. I also had a few like family friends in childhood who were in the legal profession. So I did an intern at a criminal law firm when I was probably like 15 years old. I also did an internship at like 16 years old with the Crown Prosecution Service. And that was so fascinating to me. It was one of my mum's friends and she, she was just to me like so incredibly cool. She was trying these, you know, very impressive murder cases and she was sat there kind of painting her nails at her desk. And to me as a 15 year old and, and kind of like looking at her, I was like that maybe that's like what I would like to, 
to do and to be. I'd like to kind of make an impact and do good in the world. And so, yeah, that's kind of how becoming a lawyer got on my radar. <laughs> well, firstly, Charlotte, thank you for sharing so openly your kind of your story. And there's so much of that that I can I can relate to. Firstly, I, I also lost my mom when I was I was a teenager on a personal level, certainly for me, the impact that has and giving you a sense of purpose and and I obviously how traumatizing that experience can be, mm. but probably similar to yourself, grew up in at a time when certainly in my house, the options were, as you highlighted, kind of doctor, accountant, lawyer, architect, professions were kind of where my parents were were kind of steering me towards. And there was definitely an element of that which 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 led me down the legal route as well. It's so interesting that you kind of intentionally moved moved away from the, that kind of area of interest as an architect. And I'm certainly looking at the Level 7 legal website. I can see you have a great design aesthetic. I, I know yeah. that you would have been very successful if you had pursued that as a career. But what jumps out at me as well is that you, from a very early age, wanted to get these work experiences under your belt and get these different perspectives. And I know you highlighted a few you did there while you were still in, in school, and then during college, I think you did a few more as well. You, you did one in the BBC, and I think you did one placement with a law firm where you were in Indonesia. What did you take away from those kind of later uh, kind of internships and work experiences? Well, let's start with the BBC. So that was while I was doing my LPC at law school in York. And, you know, all of the students are applying for internships. That's that's what what you know was very much going on i decided to take a different approach and apply to in-house which i don't think was that common in in those times having like training contracts now it's becoming more and more popular to have like in-house training contracts and apprenticeships yeah in, in those days it, it wasn't and I found like the in-house world working at the BBC to be totally fascinating. It gave me a flavor of, you know, the London life as well and uh, what it would look like to kind of move away from like family and what it's like in a big city. So I, I think that 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 was like interesting for me in visualizing my future career. And then yeah, spending time with Baker and McKenzie. Um, so, you know, big international law firm and going to their offices in Jakarta, like that was so incredibly cool for a 21-year-old. Like it, and, and, and I love traveling. I think that we all need to travel more and see more of the world because you just get such a different perspective of what um, life is like for people, you know? And what I took away from Jakarta was like, you know, we were working in the Jakarta Stock Exchange. You had a driver, you know, take care of you. Um, it, it was an entirely different life to that that you would experience, you know, in the UK. But also like, as you were driving through, um, you know, the, the areas where, like expats were there were like you know you'd, you'd see like children building the houses like 
and 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 that to me that had an impact on me it really did when when I thought about my future career and it is like working in a really big firm like working in a, di- a different location is that like appealing to me so which can be a risk I think for younger professionals is kind of ticking the box by doing these internships and kind of building their CV for the kind of big job they want to land after college, for instance, it seems like you were actually kind of taking learnings away from these experiences, getting a clearer picture of what you wanted and what you liked. And I was kind of fascinated by the choice you made in joining a kind of what what strikes me as a kind of reasonably unique and boutique firm, a travel with a very specific kind of vertical focus and a smaller scale probably that that gave you more more scope to kind of take on responsibilities in a whole host of areas. Can you maybe tell us about what attracted you to travel law and, and how your kind of role there evolved? It was the very niche specialist area. I wrote my dissertation on the Kyoto Protocol and European emissions trading scheme. Like so my mind was always like very into these kind of like niche areas so when I learn more about the practice at Travel Law and it being a boutique travel and aviation firm it just seemed incredibly interesting to me there were aspects of the recruitment process like questions in their application form that you would never imagine to see (laughs) on you know so it was very refreshing and different and that really appealed to me it felt like this was an environment where I could grow and because it was smaller there was that ability for me to kind of have a blank canvas and shape it in a way and and I think that there was that entrepreneurial mind even early on and I can see how attractive that would have been for someone like yourself. You had that room to grow. You kind of found that fit that made sense for you. And no disrespect to Magic Circle Law Firms or AMLO 100 Firms or even the firm I trained in. There is yeah. just way more scale, way more structure, way more hierarchy, maybe in terms of yeah. the type of work that you find yourself doing, the level of responsibility that you're you're being given. I think I was probably fortunate to have a mentor who threw me in the deep end and I kind of worked with him with a lot of autonomy and, and got great learning through that. But I'm I'm interested to understand your kind of trajectory at Travel and, and how you kind of got to that point. I think you, you've spoken about before being offered partnership before you were 30. What were the kind of key things that helped you kind of achieve that growth and take on increased responsibility so quickly and at such a young age? A lot of what you just said kind of resonated there. And and I had a great mentor as well, like the managing partner of the firm, Stephen Mason. He wrote the textbook on holiday law, on travel law. And he really nurtured his people. And, And so as a second year trainee, we were encouraged to kind of, run our own clients, go to networking events, take part in business development. So he empowered his people and gave them autonomy whilst also, you know, overseeing everything. But I think there was that kind of 
like de degree of trust that I don't always see kind of reflected in, in, in certain kind of work dynamics. It's so true, Charlotte. It is a real challenge for these larger firms where they're, they're obviously supporting global customers who are charging, they're charging high hourly rates to or large amounts for the work that they're doing. And there isn't full alignment maybe in terms of developing the next generation of talent. And there can be a kind of reticence or reluctance to kind of give kind of talented, very capable, very smart younger team members a little bit of breathing space to be more creative, to take on broader responsibilities and ultimately to develop into a partner in a firm or a kind of a general counsel or a senior legal leader. Those are the things that, that will set you apart. So I think it is a challenge in that kind of the development of talent, certainly within larger firms. And it sounds like you were incredibly fortunate to have that, that mentor and that culture and environment that gave you that scope. You ultimately, though, turned down, I understand, that kind of offer of partnership, which is obviously incredibly lucrative and chose to pursue something kind of more creative and fulfilling. And, and I'm curious, was that the kind of the creative itch of not maybe going down the kind of a different path earlier in your career and not choosing architecture or an entrepreneurial drive that you had within you? What, what kind of drove that decision to kind of step back and say, you know what, I've, I've learned a huge amount, but this isn't for me in the longer term. It's interesting because like my legal career was successful. I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the travel. There was a lot. I loved the that creative aspect that, that was possible. But burnout was real. You know, you, you could even at that early age see the the challenges and, and some of the issues like in the legal profession, the billable hour. Like I had a lot of thoughts around the billable hour and that kind of led me to innovate in the employment law team. So I, I could kind of see issues and challenges with the legal profession. And whilst I was working as a lawyer, I was also running a supper. Like I was, I was doing like hobbies on the side, one of which was running a supper club, one of which was this like food blog. So that started to kind of get me in this mindset of, hey, I can do different things. Like what happens? Like, yeah, I've accomplished what like w was designed for me in some ways by my parents. Like also like this world is really interesting. So if you think back to kind of like 2006, 2007, like that kind of era, blogging was just like, starting to take off and like Twitter and so I was actually hosting supper clubs where I would charge people a hundred pounds a ticket and so I was I was making money from kind of doing that and something kind of dawned on me from that experience like who am I if I like let go of like what was prescribed for me and like around that time I just got married and I just made partnership and my husband you know, having his his own successful career, he came home from work one day and was like, I've got this opportunity to move out to California, to move out to Silicon Valley. And so it's kind of, that was my like crossroad moment. You know, as, as, as crazy as it sounds, it, it was our decision then. Should I leave the law and do something different? See what else I can create? should we go on this great adventure and experience what it is like to live in a different country 
or do we continue on like the safe path and we together evaluated that and we decided like okay like let's put our you know chips in the ring or whatever the, the saying is and we, we moved out here and yeah it's it's been quite an adventure <laughs> there's so much there charlotte and maybe before we kind of cross the atlantic and talk about the adventure in in Sil- silicon valley and, and what you did next something you touched on briefly there was how you kind of you innovated within your employment law group that you led on your billing models and your thoughts on the on the the billable hour can you give us a little bit of context about how you worked with some of your customers or clients on pricing models and structures that were more aligned for for them and for your, for your team working with employment law clients like i noticed very early on like it's it's questions regarding billing (laughs) is you could and and it was very obvious to me from an you know early early in my career like the billable hours model people don't really like it (laughs) because it's like how long is a piece of string and working with business owners in the travel sector having more of a kind of retainer based service was a lot more appealing to them and so like having these kind of like high level conversations with clients around like fee structure led me to partnering with insurers and being able to create more fixed fee pricing services and yeah <laughs> In my experience, certainly in an area like employment law, it's win-win to some extent where maybe it is more capable of kind of identifying the appropriate retainer fee for the, for the nature of the work that you're doing for the customer. The win for the customer is greater predictability, greater certainty on those costs yeah. uh, and how they kind of uh, feed into the overall departmental budget. I think more and more legal work is capable of being transitioned away from the hourly hourly rate to models like that. Depending on the practice area, they can look a little bit different. So it's it's really interesting that that for you and for your team, you were kind of proactively doing that from the law firm side of the equation, bringing that to customers rather than waiting for a legal ops leader or a general counsel to kind of impose them upon you. So it kind of demonstrated, I think, that kind of that, that mindset you have of looking to innovate, looking to kind of create that more kind of modern legal department that's data-driven, tech-driven that I know we're, we're going to go on to talk about. So you crossed yeah. the Atlantic. You, sorry, go ahead, Charlotte. Yeah. My mindset was very much like, how do we partner with the business? How do we... And, and I think that that is a lot of the kind of mindsets that in-house legal number one want to see <laughs> and also apply like in relation to their internal clients. That is like the face now of a modern legal department. That's the goal. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And it's kind of speaking the language of the business, focusing on those kind of what is going to be highest leverage and in, in being an effective partner rather than just a kind of reactive provider of legal services and so then moving forward, yourself and your husband had this opportunity to move to Silicon Valley. It gave you that opportunity to maybe kind of take a step back and, and break free from the kind of phase one of your career as a as a, a lawyer in, in, uh, in private practice. 
and and you had obviously had that experience as you said running around supper clubs starting to to explore life as an entrepreneur what was the kind of the first area of focus for you then when you moved to silicon valley okay so when i first moved to silicon valley i was Honestly, I was kind of like done with being a lawyer and wanted to do something entirely different and and lean into my creative side. And so for the first two to three years, I actually partnered with a creative agency and acted as a marketing director, like consulting and I mean, it was, it, it was wonderful and it was, very different to what I was doing um, from a legal standpoint. And now looking back and joining the dots, that experience has proven to be invaluable as like I have launched my level seven legal business because like I have those those tools that I can deploy in in building my business. I can relate to that uh, hugely, Charlotte. The kind of I had a bit of a baptism of fire when we we uh, when I joined Ian Nolan, our CEO, who had just started Bright Flag as co-founder, and had to very quickly orientate myself with with marketing strategy, sales, customer success, and had the kind of legal domain knowledge, but got exposed to all of these different, more maybe slightly more creative areas. And it's it's just hugely rewarding to kind of get that exposure and and have to learn quickly in that type of environment. And, and I certainly found there was kind of transferable skills that you develop as a lawyer that are pretty useful in any business context. I'm not sure if you would agree with that in terms of the kind of core skills as a lawyer and how transferable yeah. they were. Yeah, like completely. So like literally when I landed in America, I went into my local town of Los Gatos and kind of essentially like found some creative agencies and like knocked on the door and was like, hey, this is my resume. Like, this is my experience. I can help you to like negotiate contracts. I can help you to price. Like I can help you to kind of like automate some of this. You can teach me how to like do graphic design and website design. And I was literally like building websites. And I think there's, there's, there's so so many like transferable skills and like number one I'm not calling myself smart but I like the saying that like smart people are smart people and we like we pick things up <laughs> and I just I, I really believe that it, it's like you hire for the right attitude um people pick things up <laughs> and so uh yeah I think that's so true and I'm curious, when did you start to become interested in in coaching as a kind of a key pillar of, of, of what you wanted to do? Okay, so, and my story, like, <laughs> so, like, long and winding, so I always kind of feel, but this has been, it's been my journey of, like, discovery. And so, yeah, I was doing, like, the marketing stuff, and uh, it was really interesting to me, but it wasn't, it wasn't that thing. So it was, that was, like, a bit of a kick in the teeth in some ways like I'd left my legal career moved to a different country I'd started like doing this new work and I would love to say like oh yeah it all just like fell into place for me but that isn't true it was it was hard like I enjoyed the work but it it was difficult and um you know like 
it like making friends getting like, it's just you're integrating into a new country and getting used to that and so like that those first two years I kind of found to be hard because there was this like niggle in the back of my mind like should I really have like given up the legal career like have I just kind of royally messed up and was this a stupid decision taking a risk and I and, and I think that I have like that voice in my mind like even now <laughs> but so so and and then I had my daughter who is now six but so I was I was in America with a newborn baby with a job like that I wasn't you know it's like a consulting work and I was just like I'm, I'm not 100% sure about this so in my little meltdown I was like I need to work with a career coach to like figure out what is next for me and so that is what I did. And that career coach, like, totally changed my life. Coaching totally changed my life. Because I was able to, like, go from this kind of, like, low energy space of kind of, like, what on earth have I done? To, like, understanding, okay, this is why you were drawn to the legal profession. This is why you did employment law you were very interested in people and performance like you were great at these like soft skill areas and so I was I was able to start to tease out like what my talents were and I was able to tease out what my passions were as well what actually gets me excited about work because I think that it's very important to be able to kind of like get into like a flow state with your work and not feel like you hate every day you want to get lost in your work and be mission driven purpose driven all of that kind of stuff so coaching essentially provided me with a container to figure out like what I wanted to do my husband thought it was preposterous at first he was like Charlotte you've just worked with a coach and now you want to be a coach (laughs) which we laugh at to this day but that's essentially what happened and so then I did a coaching qualification I signed up for one of the most intense lengthy high quality coaching executive coaching programs that cover leadership coaching performance coaching well-being coaching and and that was like my next year and a half studying training to become a coach it's remarkable, Charlotte, and, and so much of, of what you've spoken about kind of mirrors my own personal experience as well. I I worked with a coach when I was considering leaving the law firm and kind of stepping away from the kind of partner path as well. I found it hugely valuable in trying to kind of gain a clearer picture of, of what I wanted to do. And I've continued to work with coaches through my time at Bright Flag, and, and it's just an incredibly powerful tool for anybody to to kind of get that objective perspective develop really important skills understand how they best the best environment for them and how they interact with with others and it's interesting that you you then identified how you personally were were well suited to kind of work as a coach and and proactively went and kind of developed uh developed your skills to enable you to do that and i think something that always strikes me is it kind of there's kind of building blocks in your career that may not be apparent at the time and and presumably your your experience working as a lawyer combined with your experience working in originally in kind of marketing roles when you moved to the states first 
kind of gave you number one kind of domain context and, and authority to work as a coach in the legal space specifically for in-house legal teams and then number two business skills to understand how to kind of market and brand your own business so how did you kind of then start to hone in on the kind of legal department needs around coaching and and, and consulting so if i look at my last four years i founded limitless lawyers and the business in its first inception was one-to-one coaching with all lawyers and what i noticed was in the beginning i was working with lawyers who were like senior associate or you know salaried kind of partner level totally burning out there you know some of the challenges was like you know, toxic work environment, like, so So we worked on, like, time management, boundaries, evaluating what actually they wanted to do, and if this was the right career path for them, and, and that was, that was wonderful doing that work, but what I started to realize was I can teach the tools around productivity, time management, but ultimately is not addressing the issue of culture. That needs to come from top down. Otherwise, I'm just kind of patching people up and sending them, you know, on on their way. So I was kind of like having these lessons. And so I iterated my business and I noticed the in-house counsel were drawn to me. My client portfolio, as I became more and more experienced, in-house lawyers were reaching out to me, associate general counsels, general counsels. And so I was gathering more and more information around the challenges that legal teams face, the challenges that lawyers working within legal teams face. And that experience led me to founding Level 7 Legal. And Level 7 Legal is a solution. It is an attempt to address culture on legal teams. You've touched on something there, which is that opportunity that legal leaders have, general counsel, heads of legal operations, to kind of create the type of culture that best serves their organization, that best creates a, an engaged and a happy legal team that with better retention, better uh, better work-life balance, all of these things that ultimately are in, in the business's interests. And I can see how it kind of serves maybe as a blank canvas to a greater extent, more than trying to kind of deal with individuals, as you highlighted, working within law firms who've maybe operated the same way for a long time. And, and you just don't have that opportunity to kind of fundamentally change the overall kind of mission and values of that firm. So can you walk us through then how you work with in-house legal teams? And maybe I know you've done great work with Dapper Labs uh, when Marie was there, what that looked like and what the kind of substantive steps you took were working with legal leadership. Often (laughs) it's the case that you know, we're just going to purchase a workshop and that's going to fix culture. People want a silver bullet sometimes and silver bullets don't exist. It requires leadership to, number one, be aware that actually having a great culture and having people on the team that feel 
effective because they are refreshed um can do their best work they actually produce and there's a lot of like data around this they produce better work when they are feeling energized feeling motivated when they are existing in positive culture so yeah there is no silver bullet and it requires consistent work so what we do at level seven is we work firstly with the leader of a legal team maybe that's head of legal ops maybe that's the gc and we discuss vision what is the vision for this team what is your mission what are your objectives what are you actually trying to create and then we do diagnostics so we actually have tools so we are able to identify where the team's energy is at are the team just totally burnt out and reactive therefore they're not being strategic and therefore you know it's not being the best business partner to the business so we're able to almost do a temperature check of team culture and we run workshops that outline the results and so it's a really great way to address the issue head on it provides shared language so that team members can talk about how they're feeling, some of the challenges the team are, are facing. And, and those workshops help us to put together solutions, solutions that are you know coaching. Maybe it is bringing a circle of lawyers together to work on a particular topic. So perhaps, you know, a legal team has identified that we're having some communication issues and there's some bad energy with sales, let's say. You know, they've recognized that requires improving. So we can put together um, a mastermind, a thought group of individuals to like build relationships. So that's that's something that we have done. Um, And I can talk a little about Dapper Labs and outline you know how we address their a, a challenge so at Dapper Labs they were scaling and they were scaling quickly the team was going to be growing from around 25 to double triple that and in that kind of hyperscale environment they were planning on rolling out legal tech tools. Everyone was really, really busy. And they had headcount, but they hadn't been through a hiring process yet. So everyone was really busy rolling out new tools. It was identified that, you know, every everyone is going to be burning out. Legal ops folk, <laughs> when they're rolling out these tools, experience resistance. Why are we trying to roll out this tool right now? Like, I don't have time to learn this. You know, those kind of challenges. And so by having coaching to work on those mindsets, by being able to take some of the, the weight off, the pressure off when it comes to like time management, productivity, these coaching is incredible in being able to help a legal team perform at its best 
It's so important, Charlotte, what you've highlighted there is the need for legal leadership, the general counsel, the head of legal operations, the legal leadership group to kind of take that step back and not just be caught in the kind of reactive loop of responding to the kind of demands of the business and create the space to really bring clarity to what is your vision, what is your mission, what are the core values for us as a legal team, get a better understanding, as you highlighted, of diagnosing where everybody's at, where where their strengths are, where their challenges are, and make sure everybody's on the same page as to the why behind an e-billing initiative or a CLM initiative or or another hire to the team that isn't going to bl- block somebody's progression, but is needed because of the scale that's coming. And, and it can be very hard to kind of create the space for that communication when everybody's so busy, but it, it does ultimately enable you to, to kind of move faster in my experience. And I think some of the things you've highlighted there is it isn't to kind of set it and forget it, or we can, we can bring in Charlotte and her team to do this workshop and then all our problems are solved. You have to have that kind of internal leadership buy-in. You have to have that conviction that we're going to kind of change in how we're operating to really see the benefits of that. And I can certainly speak from that from personal experience in our time in Bright Flag, how important that kind of clarity of communication is, creating the space for those types of conversations for the team. And and I'm curious, like what sort of results have you seen with customers when they've kind of really committed to the process? The results that we see are are game changing because it's thinking about, you know, a leader that has planned for doing more with less in this kind of economic environment is, you know, like setting the conditions, like priming the environment so that we don't lose key people because the cost of replacing that individual is incredibly high. Like the institutional knowledge and the loss that we experience there is incredibly high. And so when you actually plan for this, people feel motivated. People feel like they are, you know, ready to to perform at their best, and and so, yeah, you, you can you can see that that there's a huge impact on on culture. And how important is it? Do you think that you're bringing that kind of empathy and understanding, given your legal background, in the work that you're doing? I think that it is helpful, my legal background, because having worked with lawyers having practiced you know the the challenges i can very much walk in uh people's shoes i think mindset's something that's really interesting and the lawyer brain <laughs> and how we think has a propensity towards you know skepticism has a propensity towards perfectionism so the, there are risk taking these are some of the challenges that affect the lawyer brain. And so mindset coaching, like number one, be, having experienced that myself and knowing what the lawyer brain is like, <laughs> and then being able to do the mindset coaching helps people to think differently and to to innovate more, to put less pressure on themselves. And that actually creates better results. Again, I can definitely relate to that, Charlotte. I think you and I have spoken about this before, that shift in mindset when we started Bright Flag, where my 20s were spent striving for perfection in every legal product I produced and piece of advice or document that I drafted. But then when you're working, scaling a business or 
in different functional areas of a business, perfection is not the goal. Very often you're solving for kind of 80% can be good enough to be really successful. And I think that shift in mindset, not just focusing on downside risks, but the kind of opportunities that new technologies, that, that new approaches can provide and, and, and changing how things are done are so important. And you're right, it starts with mindset. There has to be that buy-in and that kind of intentional approach to kind of changing how things are done. I'm curious to understand as well, have you have you kind of noticed any fundamental differences between how maybe U.S. lawyers and, and European lawyers operate uh, from, from the work that you've done and, and the kind of differences in the culture there? I think that the culture in the U.S., I don't know. I don't know how true this is, um, but it, it seems to me that the culture is more brutal. <laughs> and, and I think that I think that it depends where you work. I have had clients that are working, you know, at magic circle firms, like in the kind of like capital markets field, like in the US and also in the UK. And like the culture there is, you know, always on and it's incredibly challenging. I can see like the the challenges are similar for like the UK clients and the US clients. Work culture in, I, th- I think one of the, the most striking things for me as a Brit and as a mother has been um, the difference in parental leave, maternity leave and those kind of policies. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard in the US. I mean, it's hard. I think that it's hard everywhere. Number one, it's hard for for parents in in the UK for sure. I think that it kind of comes down to like the length of time that people, you know, typically have off. Childcare is incredibly difficult to come by in the US. It's incredibly expensive. I, I and I know that that as well is the same in the UK. But yeah, you definitely notice like similarities and differences. <laughs> you've touched you've touched on a lot of important points there. You've obviously experienced the kind of the challenges around parental leave firsthand. Do you think legal departments in large organizations can be playing more of an active role in in trying to influence policies and improve that situation? Absolutely. And, And I think that is something that we all can do. One of the things that I have noticed that but for young parents, that is incredibly helpful when I think about my clients, when I think about myself, it's being conscious of when you schedule calls. And there's, you know, the witching hours <laughs> for, for, you know, mornings. Everyone hates it when you've got a 7 a.m. call scheduled because that's, you know, prime time. So it's just being conscious. Like if you know an employee that does have a young family calls at, at that time, calls around like five o'clock. There's certain hours that ideally we won't have calls booked. So I think there's things that we all can do in showing little a little leadership, showing compassion, being thoughtful. And I, and I do believe that that really does go a long way. And I think certainly my experience, Charlotte, it was only when I had children myself, myself, my wife, that these things really hit home with me and I couldn't agree with you more like there's the sacrosanct drop-off I do with my kids in the morning definitely between 7 30 and 8 in the morning is not a good time for a call for me and likewise I do my very best to be 
free at bath time, uh, which is in about an hour's time from now, every evening, if I can, uh, at home. And I think, as you say, starting with empathy, which applies for for parents, for for anyone who has a unique set of circumstances as a member of your team is uh, and, and kind of communicating openly with them is, is always the best place to start. I'm curious, Charlotte, we've covered a lot of ground. I want to be respectful of your time as well. Um, <laughs> outside of the world of legal, what do you enjoy doing in, in your spare time? So my hobby is oil painting. So that is something that I, I love doing. And yeah, like to to paint. And uh, I love enjoying California, going to the beach and hiking and the lifestyle that is out here yoga I think that that's incredible for feeling how like how your body is because yeah it's the most important tool that we've got so <laughs> I couldn't agree more I always find the days that I exercise which are not as as, as frequent as I would like I'm generally in a better mood do better work sets you up for a better day very impressed with the oil painting that's definitely in the top 10 cool hobbies of, of guests we've had on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would encourage everyone to yeah get painting it's, it's good <laughs> well well Charlotte thank you so much for joining us it's been incredibly insightful conversation it's been a pleasure I've gotten to know you over the last few weeks it's been a pleasure getting to know you and I think a lot of commonalities in in our past and our early career experiences that I can really relate to and, and thank you for being so open with our audience about your journey yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been great to, to chat. Great. Chat to you soon, Charlotte. Thanks so much. <laughs> I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.